So I think it starts with an organizational commitment to say managers matter a lot, clarify expectations for them in terms of the skills and competencies and success criteria. And then let's begin to programmatically develop those skills and competencies that are necessary for their success. Welcome back to Insights, an Amplify original series giving you insights on cultural myths, employee engagement, and why it all matters. I'm Nicole McLean, and we've spent season three of Insights focusing on manager development and the impact that has on employee engagement. Recently, I had the chance to sit down with our favorite CEO, Santiago Jaramillo, to talk about what he foresees in the coming year. Specifically, Santi's been calling 2020 the year of the manager. But what does that mean? And a year from now, what will it look like for organizations that put an emphasis on manager development and employee engagement versus those that don't? Well, let's dive into our interview with Santi on this special bonus episode of Insights. All right. So this whole season, we've been talking about managers, the importance of managers. And so it's no surprise that, Santi, I've heard you say that 2020 is going to be the year of the manager. So why do you think that is and what do you think we can expect that to mean? I I love that focus of the clarity of of 2020 being the year of the manager. As we continue to not just look at our own data about employee engagement, now over 15 million unique points of employee feedback, but as we look at more of the research that's being done in the space, we continue to see how influential that manager to employee relationship is in terms of creating that engaging environment. It's really a key lever of where things change. Even if the company leadership and the company's purpose and mission and values are aligned and an individual loves their work, if that relationship with the manager and the environment that that manager is creating in their team is not a healthy, empowering, inspiring one, those other pieces might be for, for, for nothing. So I believe that the reason why 2020 is going to be the year of the managers, we continue to look at the data and how influential the manager to employee relationship is. We begin to see that it's not just C-suite and VP and directors that create those employee experiences and those work environments, but those line level managers that are closest to the people doing the work, servicing, selling, supporting the customer that are the most important. When we look at the research Individual contributors furthest away from senior leadership experience about 40% less engagement than senior leaders. And the challenge of that is that who is touching the customer? Who is servicing the client? Who is selling the prospect? It's those people furthest away from the C-suite. And the person that influences the work environment of that individual contributor delivering the customer experience is the manager is the people supervisor, that frontline manager, who is probably the one also that receives the least support, the least budget for leadership and management training. We see that leadership and executive education, the budgets are so much larger at the C-suites and at the VP level. But when we go down into the director, manager, and line level supervisor, those budgets are not nearly as big and the focus is not there. And these are, by the way, the folks with least management experience. They just were an individual contributor. They're getting into their first management job. And the combination of their experience, the lack of support, education, and development in a formalized way throughout the organization, and how important they are to ultimately creating company value by 
creating an engaging environment for those individual contributors creates this imperative for organizations to finally crack the code of how we how do we have our best managers be not just at the C-suite, but the ones managing individual contributors that are closest to the customer and closest to the work. There's so much great stuff to unpack there. First of all, 40%, I can't say that I'm surprised by it, but I didn't realize that it was that high of individual contributors being that much less engaged than senior leadership. Yeah. You know, when you, when you think about involvement, understanding context of why decisions get made and when many companies have cascading communications, you know, by the game of telephone, by the time it gets cascaded all the way to them, it, the, the message integrity might not be there, or at the very least, they were never invited to have a voice into the discussion at all. And so these folks are kind of getting handed directives from on high and they are the ones uh, that are also hearing the feedback from those individual contributors with the customer. So if, if the strategy isn't perfect, if the direction isn't isn't great, then those are the folks kind of stuck in the middle where they don't have authority to change the strategy and change direction like top senior leadership does. But they are hearing daily feedback from those people that are dealing with reality, with the market, with the customer, with the prospect every single day. And that can be a difficult place to be in as a person that your first management job is one where you have the least input, the least context, uh, and, and certainly the many times the least support and development. Uh, many, many of us make the mistake of seeing an amazing individual contributor who's a 3x contributor and absolutely uh, a total rock star in their position and so we promote that person into a place of people management, people supervisory. And many times we forget, and I've done this, we forget that it's an entirely different set of skills and competencies that make someone an effective people supervisor than an effective technical contributor or individual contributor. And when we do that, we promote, we, we, we end up many times not supporting and developing them intentionally. And so we end up losing one of our best individual contributors, putting them into a place where they're going to be set up for failure. And then we end up losing an individual contributor. We end up losing a great people manager and then damage is caused to the rest of the team when that manager hasn't been equipped to be successful. So I want to, I want to dive in a little bit deeper to this idea of support and development. And you mentioned it earlier um, oftentimes these middle managers have the least amount of budget. And I know this because you and I have talked about this, but oftentimes giving support and development does not mean that companies have to break the bank and pour a ton of money into things. Obviously, if you're in that position, you can, that's, that's fantastic. And getting them coaches and et cetera is obviously very helpful, but there are things that we can do, right? That isn't just throwing money at problems. Managers need other things. What what are some of those things? You're right. So so budget is really one of the, in terms of sequencing, one of the last considerations and sometimes not necessary. What we see in companies and organizations that have consistently high manager scores by their teams is we see that they take the time to thoughtfully define what a great manager is in this organization what does it mean to be a good manager? What do we consider success criteria of a good manager to be? And what do we think are the necessary competencies, antecedents, skills, competencies that a great manager needs to have to be able to be a great manager, whatever that means here. And there is some centralized 
kind of alignment that needs to be had at an organizational level to define what are our expectations of people managers? How do we measure their success? What are our expectations of them? And what are the skills and competencies that they need to be successful? When we define that, then we can begin a very methodical process of how do we build those skills? How do we build those competencies in these individuals? Where are they in their development of each of them today? And which ones are the ones that we need to invest, support, and develop? So I think it starts with an organizational commitment to say managers matter a lot. Clarify expectations for them in terms of the skills and competencies and success criteria. And then let's begin to programmatically develop those skills and competencies that are necessary for their success. Sometimes that's as simple as mentorship from a different manager across the organization and a different function department. Uh, sometimes that is horizontal de- manager development, which is kind of classroom style, book style type. It's, it's knowledge. It's expanding sort of our, our mind and, and knowledge. I think one of the most challenging parts of growing managers and growing and developing managers is, is that manager's vertical development, which is not their knowledge about how to manage and do a one-on-one factually. It, it's more of the, the framework by which they understand people and their leaders and manager's heart. Uh, for example, you can know the exact recipe for how to give feedback. It is point out the behavior, share the impact of that behavior, uh, make a request of different behavior in the future and ask them for their opinion, right? We, we might clinically know exactly what we need to do, but that doesn't mean that we have the courage to go and have that conversation. And so that, that courage is an example of that vertical development, uh, which is it's, it's more complex to drive than sending somebody to a class. It is true leadership development. It's maturity as a person. It is a heart for others. It's servant leadership. It's putting someone else before your own interests. It's, it's those types of skills and competencies. And that's hard to do if they're not modeled by leaders around the organization and vertical development paired with horizontal development around the skills and the competencies that matters begins to be a bit of a sequence and a recipe for how to programmatically build managers at scale, uh, being really thoughtful about how are we selecting and filtering for those managers, and then how are we supporting, encouraging, and inspiring their success in the organization. You kind of just touched on it, and we've had five episodes that talk about the importance that manager development and focus on managers has on employee engagement. So why is it so hard for leaders to actually do what you just said and what we've heard from some of the other speakers this season? I think part of what makes developing amazing managers at scale, meaning not just at the C-suite, but across the tens or the hundreds uh, of people, supervisors across many layers of the organization, Part of that challenge is is first having the awareness of how different the skill set of people supervisory is from doing the actual work that those folks are managing. And but that's that's fairly basic. When when you move on from there, the reality is that different managers and different people, their path to being a great manager is different for each person. For me, it might be the courage to have that feedback conversation. For somebody else, it might be the proactive communication of doing one-on-ones on on a weekly basis. And so for each of us, we might, for each manager, there might be a different 
path and a different journey for development. And so there's no cookie cutter approach necessarily. That's some of the challenge of classroom based sort of mass education is that we're teaching the same thing to everyone, pretending that every single person is on the same journey and needs the same lesson and the same competency. When the reality is, when we look at the engagement data of a manager, it begins to give us their development path. They might be really strong on trust and psychological safety, but very low on feedback. And so now all of a sudden we can create a personalized journey for that manager of working on the areas that will most help them to double down on their strengths and to cover some of the weaknesses and gaps that they might have in their people management. Yeah, that's great. So I want to pivot just a little bit to talk about 2020 in general. What do you think comes next in employee engagement in 2020? I think part of what comes next is is really the realization of the vision and the dream that we've all had about how engagement should work, which is every single people manager is really, really clear on their own growth and development areas down the levels of, of the chain of command in an organization. And they have a clear number one, two, or three priority of how they're going to work on their management and leadership based on the data and feedback that they've received from their team. And they have the necessary, whether it's a coach, a mentor, uh, resources to be able to pursue that growth. If we can focus on creating incredible, engaging managers that build cultures of high engagement and high performance, we will have thriving teams. And so I think that 2020 is, is the first time where the tools, the awareness, the knowledge, the prioritization, and the budgets are all coming into place to create that environment where we can become leader and manager factories, where essentially we can take in people who are amazing individual contributors, can spot their potential to lead and manage others, and we can programmatically begin to train, develop them even before they take on the manager role to be ready to take on that role and understand exactly where the opportunities for their management and leadership are, where the risks are, and be crystal clear on what those are to move forward with the support and coaching they need to be successful. All right. So let's get real for a second. We've all seen the predictions that claim a recession is around the corner. And whether that's true or not, I'm curious, in times of struggle or times that maybe business isn't going as well as we'd like it to, what do you think that means for employee engagement? And what advice would you give to a CEO trying to make hard choices about employee engagement during that time of turmoil? You know, if we we play that scenario out, and there's really, uh, the way I've thought about it before is there's two way lenses to think about it from the company and leadership perspective and sort of from the individual's perspective. From a company perspective, during a downturn, your focus is on uh, most of the time, if, you, if you're cyclical with, with the economy, you're thinking about cutting costs. And so somehow we have to figure out how to do the same or a little bit less for a lot less budget. At the same time, organizations will be making significant changes to restructure, to adapt to the new economic, macroeconomic climate. And so in times of high change, in times of high uncertainty, and in times when an organization needs to do more with less, that's the time when we need people to come together uh, to put in their heart and mind into what we're doing. So if we look at it from the company perspective, trying to do more with less, that's the time when employee engagement becomes critical. Those folks that might be left on that team and in that company, it's critical for those to step up 
for those folks to step up into greater areas of responsibility, to take on those challenges, and to be steady during a difficult time when there's uncertainty and high amounts of change. From an individual's perspective, it becomes in a, in a time where the company is going through lots of changes, they're uns, it's, they're, you're uncertain about uh, the macroeconomic climate, this is the time when management and leadership, when you want them most to lean into things that engage, to be transparent and authentic about the situation that's going on with the company, to create psychologically safe environments where people are willing to raise their hand and share a concern. Hey, this we're, we're seeing less demand in the market here. We think we can't hit our sales goals. And so how do we restructure now to get ahead of this issue? That's the time when we need hearts and minds the most of our leaders and of our people. And so I think it's it's a fallacy to think that employee engagement is in times of feast, when in fact, I think it's even more critical in times of famine to come together as a team to tackle even greater challenges than we've ever had before. So currently it's December of 2019. When we're having a conversation in December of 2020, what do you think is going to look different between companies that listened and focused on employee engagement versus those that don't? So I think the ones that focused effectively on employee engagement and started from a place of data that informed a prioritized and focused strategy. They're able to focus on a few things related to employee engagement and really move the needle. Those folks will begin to be able to calculate the return on investment of those engagement initiatives. And those HR leaders that do that, they'll be promoted into CHROs, they'll be promoted into chief people officers, and they will have an experience significantly improved levels of collaboration with C-suite because they're going to be speaking the same language with the CFO and the COO and the COO saying, let's invest more into our people programs because every time we do it, look at the ROI that we get. And this ROI is greater than in most other functions in the organization. And so what happens, those people leaders get even more seats at the table and CFOs and CEOs unlock more and more programs budget as their confidence gains that people programs are going to be used with accuracy, with precision, with effectiveness and efficiency, and they're going to be focused on the most highly impactful areas that will improve employee engagement and thus business outcomes and business performance. Now, conversely, this is one of those things that when you don't do it well, you many times kind of have a hangover, have a little bit of PTSD around this in the sense that you, you try to listen, we try to do employee engagement, it, it maybe doesn't move the needle or we, we really don't know what we got from it. And so then it makes us shy and we're like, why, why would we do that again? And we, we lean away from, from investing into this area that matters most because we're not clear on what it's doing for individuals or for the business. And so those folks will spend more or less on people programs um, and that'll be felt by folks in, 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 a, in a time where people's expectations of work and of leadership and of managers continue to increase significantly. We'll see... In, in that group, increasing levels of disengagement and thus, you know, turnover and absenteeism and burnout and those things that can really become a significant blocker from an organization accomplishing its mission and their purpose. So I think it's, a, it's really a, a tale of two cultures in a way. Um, those that do it well and show ROI and show effectiveness will get increased responsibility and influence and budget in the organization. And those that don't will, will experience the opposite. Tale of Two Cultures. I think it's going to be the next best-selling book on 
Amazon or New York Times, wherever people get their books now. It was the best of times and the worst of times. Never have words been more true. Santiago, thank you so much for taking the time to kind of give us this episode. I hope that the listeners enjoyed the bonus episode, trying something new, but I think it was packed with a lot of really good content. Thank you. Thanks for having me. By the way, don't forget, you can download the manager report where we unpack the competencies and best practices of really effective managers. What are those qualities that set great managers apart? As part of that, I want to tease you with one of the insights. One of the things that we see in companies that continually score in the upper echelons of employee engagement is that they look at their people supervisory managers in a very specific way in terms of how they evaluate their effectiveness. They not only look at the traditional KPIs and metrics and success criteria of did this team hit the results so that the sales team get to the sales goal, that the customer success team deliver a good customer service experience, but just as important with results, KPIs, they look at their engagement progress. Are they focusing on engagement? Are they quantitatively improving their engagement score of their team? And those managers are held to that employee engagement KPI along with the business metrics at the same time. Because their job is not only to deliver results for the company, but at the same time, create a highly engaging environment for that team to continue doing the best work of their lives. And you can download that report at amplify.com slash report, E-M-P-L-I-F-Y dot com slash report. Thanks so much for tuning in. Happy holidays to everyone as you're starting to head out. I want to leave you with one challenge. So we've had all this great content with Santi today. We've had five episodes of awesome content and three seasons of content. I'm curious and I want to challenge you as you head into 2020 and we talk about New Year's resolutions, what can be one resolution that you can hold yourself to in order to improve employee engagement in the new year? Maybe it's about managers. Maybe it's about figuring out a way to hold yourself accountable to engagement in general, but what is one thing that you can write down and share with your executive team that you're going to do to improve engagement? And so with that, I hope you guys have a great holiday season and we will see you in the new year.